Uh, I do have another announcement for you, and we've talked about this. On Father's Day, we are going to do a dodgeball tournament. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you have to play, although it would be awesome if everybody would. Now, maybe you're just one person. You're thinking, well, I don't have a team. Sign up, we'll put you on a team. If you have a team of six people, team maxes are six people, and you can sign up, put a team name down, and we will put you in the middle of it. If it's just like you and a buddy, hey, the two of us want to play, we'll stick you on a team, just sign up. And again, if you don't want to play, you're, I did not know the official rules until this week when someone read them to me. Apparently, if you hit somebody above the neck, you're out. What? What? <laughs> yeah! So apparently, we're playing the, the modern equivalent of dodgeball, which is safe dodgeball. Whatever. But anyway, you should sign up. If, even if you don't want to play, you should uh, make plans to come that day for Father's Day. We're going to be making like Dodger dogs and, and feeding you guys all kinds of terrible things for you. But we'd love you to come and just cheer people on, even if you're not playing. So we're all going to hang out and get together. It's one of those things in the comeback where you want to get together as a people and join and just have some fun. So sign up. If you're in a gospel community, have your gospel community sign up. She's like, have you met my gospel community? You would break them with those balls. Anyway. And one other thing. Uh, guys, I would, I would really, and I think our staff would really covet your prayers about this. Uh, we have been looking for a youth minister at Element for almost two years now. Uh, we've interviewed a few people, and everything just kind of seems to ball through. I don't know what God is doing. I trust him in the process. But if you guys would keep that in your prayers, that he would bring the person that he wants here to, to do that, and he would reveal that person who it's supposed to be, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, because it, is, it has been a long haul. We're getting a little bit frustrated, which goes into what we're talking about today, which is patience and trusting God in the midst of it. So that's where we're going. If you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you forgot yours here, it's probably at the Welcome Center. Uh, there, are, uh, the, there are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And on the inside, left side, what you're going to get is a half-page recap of what we talk about today. On the right-hand side, you're going to get some questions to go over what we talk about today. On the back, you'll get the verses we're going through. Then there is a place for notes. You can grab one of those. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download it, it just says Bible. And you click on More and then Events when you're in there. And you will get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, the announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a patient people and that our patience would come because we understand how patient you have been with us, that you have been compassionate and merciful with us as a people. And so we would see who you are and what you've done and that would begin to change how we live and we'd be those who become long-suffering with those around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in the New Testament book of James. This is week 16. We have three weeks after this week, and we will finish 
the book. That is your light at the end of the tunnel. Then we're going to go into a summer series called Never Read a Bible Verse, which is about making sure you read the Bible in context. You don't just take one phrase out of context and run with that. We want to see what it says as a whole. Now, sometimes when I write my messages versus how I give them, they're completely different. Uh, John G. did the benediction last week, and John goes, boy, you gave that so much different than it read in your notes because he read it before, so he had an idea of what the benediction should look like. And he goes, so do, and I, and I do that all the time. I kind of change what we do. And I used to have this big problem with three-point sermons. I always thought, boy, three-point sermons, they're so boring. Why would you have three points? And now, as I get a little bit older, I think three-point sermons are great because they enable you to hold on to things because as like people say on the video, I talk too fast, I might lose you, but I can be like point number two. And if you're lost, you go, oh, point number two, and you come right back into it. So they can be a really, really good thing. And when I, was, when I was writing the book of James, we were going through the book of Job last year. And as we were going through the book of Job, I realized I had long teaching sections and no points. So I'm really striving in the book of James to kind of put points into my messages. And then I realized today I went point happy. So <laughs> I have three points, but I have subpoints, And I have subpoints to those subpoints. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> But that's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, open to James chapter 5. If you have an element Bible, that's page 656. Now, today's kind of a no-brainer because we are going to talk about patience, really in regard with our words and our hands and our hearts. Now, in this section, James will use the word patience four times. He will also use the word wait. He will use the word steadfast, maybe to not use the word patience so many times. But we're going to talk about patience. We're going to translate this back into when we talked about the beginning with suffering and all of that because the word Patience literally means long-suffering. So this is James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And it says this, Be what? Patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So really, this whole thing kind of centers on what patience is and how we live that out. The Apostle Paul will even tell us in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, like when the Holy Spirit is in someone's lives, I know sometimes there's a lot of crazy things people say come along with that, but what we know from Paul is that the fruit of the Spirit, like fruit on a tree in our lives, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience. How many of you like to wait? None of us, right? We're Americans. We don't, we don't like, like to wait. Anybody feel like you should be more patient? Yeah, a lot of us do, right? I, I do, and I pray about it. God just zapped patience into me, so I have to wait to get it. That's, that's what I want. Uh, when my computer doesn't boot up, I was meeting with Pete Newman last week, and he got a new computer, and I'm putting stuff. I'm like, my goodness, this computer's really, really slow. And he's all, that's really fast what it used to be. I'm like, I, I can't even handle this. You ever see somebody run up and down an escalator? I do, unless my wife is with me, then I don't. I, I stand there and I'm really nice about it. Uh, our economics markets are all run by speed. If uh, people want to be closer to the hub, if you were like two miles from the hub, there might be a couple millisecond delay. And like, we just can't have that. So people pay more and more to get closer to the hub. Our whole society does not like to be patient. 
Go to your local hardware store. I call it Honeycut Hardware, but it's Orchid Hardware. It's Ben's Hardware Store. I like Ben. I like to shop local right over here. But sometimes I go in and Ben doesn't have what I need. And so Ben will say, well, I can order that for you. And I always think, well, how long is it going to take to get that in? Sometimes if you can't get it in, he'll say, just get it from Amazon. And I think, why don't I order everything from Amazon? Because I want to shop local. I want to help those local guys. But always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how could I get that even quicker? I don't want to wait. You ever go to the airport and they have those moving floors that people where you're supposed to walk on them or run on them. It, I'm going to date myself, but it feels like the bionic man. If you run on them, you're like, tick, 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 tick. you're going so fast. And then there, inevitably, there's somebody standing there in the middle of the thing with their luggage strewn everywhere. It's like, you don't stand on these. You walk because it feels amazing. <laughs> we don't like to wait. So we're going to talk about patience today. I'm probably going to talk about patience about me and how we can grow a bit in that. So point number one, ready? What is patience? We're going to define patience how James defines it, because he does give us a couple of examples, because it really matters to our words, our hands, and our hearts. First, he talks about is farmers, and then he'll talk about a guy named Job, and Job was probably a rancher or a farmer. So how do farmers show patience? They plant something in a field, and then they have to wait. They have to wait till it comes up out of the ground. And so what's the opposite of patience, though? The opposite of patience, as James says, is grumbling. Grumbling says, do not grumble against one another. This is when people are frustrating, when people are disappointing, when the relationship you have doesn't go the way that you want it to go, when everything seems to melt down in that. How do we respond? He says, we typically respond with grumbling. Now, grumbling can be outward. Grumbling can be inward. But it's responding to people who disappoint us and frustrate us with resentment, negativity, and cynicism. Grumbling is a lack of patience. It means that we are not long-suffering. So, first off, what is patience? Well, patience, a lack of patience means we have given up on people. That's the first thing James really says here. And instead of continuing to love them or care for people around us, we kind of just write them off. Now, hopefully, most of us recognize if we get angry at someone else, if we are frustrated with someone or really mad at someone. But grumbling almost becomes deeper because it happens really deep inside of us. And I, see, I think it's much more common, which I think also makes it much more dangerous. Grumbling comes, we can become detached from others when we refuse to step into their lives in the places that they have frustrated, where we refuse to have real relationship. This is one of the reasons we have gospel communities. Some people are like, my gospel community, they drive me nuts. Exactly, because we're people and we need to be in a relationship with one another. And sometimes this idea of grumbling, again, it means this idea that we become cynical. And I don't know if you have people like that in your life, but you see them and on, and on the inside, not on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, oh no, not them again. And you're just kind of like, oh, I don't really want them around. That's a lack of patience. That's a lack of long suffering where you've given up on someone. And I'm not talking about if you've had a really long day and you're tired. I'm not talking if you don't have kids and your friends have kids and you just can't do the kids right now. Because there are parents who have kids and they just can't do the kids sometimes too. They get it. I am talking about a lack of love for somebody else. We refuse to be long-suffering with them. And so patience is when people are frustrating, maybe even when they've disappointed you, but we don't give up on each other. That's one of the things that James says. Patience and how he has defined it is that we do not give up on one another. We learn to forgive. We become gracious to each other. That's not all patience is, but look how James keeps going. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Why are we patient with one another? Because God is patient with us. But he does now give another example of what patience is, and he talks about the prophets. Now, we don't know which prophets he's referring to, except when he gets to a point and he starts talking about Job. As I said, when I was writing this message, we were in the middle of the book of Job, and I could spend the rest of the message talking about Job, but I'm not. But I'll give you a quick summation of the book in case you don't know what's taking place there. In the book of Job, there is a character. It, his name is the accuser. That translates as for us as Satan. So that's Satan that, that's there. And Satan goes to God and he says, I don't like this guy, Job. I want to test him. Satan's mad at Job because God really likes Job. And so God says, well, you know what? I'll let you do this, but not that. So he puts parameters on what Satan is allowed to do. You can do this, but not that. You can do this, but not that. So then what happens in Job's day, one day he's standing in his home. And a messenger comes running up to him. And the messenger says that robbers have come. And they've stolen all of his livestock and, and killed his workers. And that's a bad day. But then right on the heels of that, a second person comes running up and says lightning or fire came down from heaven and it burned up his sheep and killed some other servants. And that's a really, really bad day. But then a third servant comes in and says the same thing about Job's camels. Now, I don't know if you've ever been near a camel. I have been forced onto a camel. I had to pay a guy in Egypt, give him money to let me get off of his camel. And the camel tried to bite me. I do not like camels. And so I don't care if all the camels disappeared. But what happens here is that means all of Job's Job's capital is gone. He is now destitute. And right on the heels of that, a fourth servant comes up and says that a strong wind came and all of his children were gathered together in a home. They're probably older children, not younger, but they're gathered in a home and the home collapsed and it killed seven sons and three daughters. And what Job does is he tears his clothes and he shaves his head and he falls to the ground. Job 121. So all that happened in the first 20 verses. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what Job does is he deals with this theologically in his head. It's like it's so raw, he's not letting it touch his heart. Now, I have, a, I have a very weak example of this because I know this doesn't compare. But a couple weeks ago, if you guys don't know this, my dog, Haiti, we had to put her to sleep. If you've ever been to a baptism or something, I told you to hide your food because she'll eat it. She'll be your buddy. I love you, Odia, just for your food. And she will want to eat all your food. Well, she got lymphoma. And within three days, her neck swelled like this. And we had to end up putting her to sleep. So you're not going to see her this year. I can show you where we buried her, but she's not going to be there. And when the first thing I did with that, because that was a couple hours before we did the Saturday night Easter service. And so I don't know, like, what am I going to do? And I just like Job, I start to deal with it in my head. I don't want to think about the ramifications to my heart. And so I think theologically for me, I believe that animals have a spirit that animates them and they have a physical body, but I don't think they have a soul like we do. Like people are always like, oh, you know, my animal's going to be in heaven. I'm like, I don't think so. You know, like, there'll be animals in heaven, just not your animal. <laughs> Or mine, or mine, you know, and, and, that's, and some people want to disagree. That's okay. You can disagree with me all you want. I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and he goes, can you imagine all the angry cows? <laughs> but so I start to deal with it in, in my head, but eventually it does touch my heart. I think that's where Job starts. It's all in his head. 
And he says, I came here with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. What matters is that God overall. But then a second wave hits Job. And when that does, it really moves from his head to his heart. It becomes too much because his physical health then becomes attacked. And he will have boils on sores all over his body. And he sits on an ash heap with a shard of pottery just scraping the pus out of these boils. And Job's wife comes up and she says, curse God and die because she is a great help in times of need. Um, And then I don't know if it was the devil or not, but then Job has three friends that show up. Uh, and he has Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and Job's friends are the exact opposite of Job's wife. And they say, you know, you're the problem. You need to curse yourself and die. You must be evil. That's why God is doing it. See, his wife blames God and says, God's wicked. You should curse him. His friends say, no, you're wicked. You're the problem. And Job loses it. All the pain in his head moves into his heart. And from chapter 3 to chapter 31, it's just this raw discourse between Job and his friends of all the suffering and things that he is going through. They go back and forth. And there are great glimmers in this of where Job talks about how God is good, even in the midst of all of this and the things he doesn't understand. But it is very raw. And he does say some very not nice things about who God is. But in the end, what you see is that God shows up and God does the work and God will use the catastrophe to grow Job and grow Job's friends and Job's wife and his community and ultimately us so that we would understand no matter what comes our way, God is still good and he's still sovereign. Now that's a very quick summation of the book of Job. But the word that he will use, uh, James will use here for patience for Job is this word called steadfast. Steadfast. Now I told you before, this Greek word for steadfast is word called hypomone. And what it means is to hyperstand in place. It'd be like you're in the midst of a battle and a commanding officer comes to you and says, you've got to stay here. You cannot move. If anybody gets past you, the whole thing is lost. So no matter what they throw at you, no matter how fierce the attack is, you cannot retreat. You cannot give up any ground. And so the second thing that James talks about that patience means for us is we stand with God in difficult situations even when we don't understand. Because that's what Job shows. So we have two things. We, what we do is we do not give up on one another. And secondly, we stand with God in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's the long suffering. That's the patience he's talking about. One writer says this. Patience is to unflinchingly live the way you should live, do the things you should do, and be the person you know you should be to not give up. And I'm like, well, that sounds great. But that's impossible to do on our own. This is why we have to understand that God is the one who has first been patient with us. So again, James says two aspects of patience. Patience with difficult people how we respond in those difficult situations, and secondly, patience in difficult circumstances and trusting the will of God. Responding in those circumstances by trusting God. So we have courage and faith in that. Now, hopefully all of us will take those two definitions and we will say, yes, this is good. Patience is good, impatience is bad, impatience will lead to a lot of dumb decisions. But James just doesn't say impatience leads to dumb decisions. He doesn't just say impatience is impractical. He says impatience is a terrible evil, and he connects it with judgment day. He connects it with sin. And you might be thinking, my goodness, that seems a little bit of an overreaction about impatience. But using the definition that we develop, it means every day, almost every hour, we will meet frustrating and infuriating people. We will step into frustrating and infuriating infuriating circumstances. When that happens, how do our hearts respond? Where do we go? And this is why James keeps coming back to this idea. Do we believe what we really say we believe? And there's really only one of two ways to respond when disappointments happen. So I guess you could call this my point 1A, A, 
because point one A was you know, the whole idea of being patient with one another, and point one B was staying with God in difficult circumstances, so point one A, A, I don't know how points work, but anyway. The first one is we can trust God. That's one of the ways we can do it. We can trust God, his timing, his schedule, his wisdom. Trusting God in the midst of hard times means we remind ourselves of who he is, that God is good. He is trustworthy. Things that we would never choose to go through in our lives, God will allow in our lives to grow us because he knows what he is doing. Elizabeth Elliot writes about what you say to your heart in the midst of hard times. She says, you say, God is God, and because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm going to trust that he is good. And she says, if we don't learn to trust God in the hardest places, we're never going to find rest in our lives. And so impatience is a lack of humbleness in our lives because many times we think that we know better than God how to live our lives. So we can trust God or point one A, B or one B, B, I don't know. Uh, We can trust ourselves. That's the other one of those. Our wisdom, our assessments, our schedule, our timing, all that we think should happen. One writer says this, trusting yourself internally sounds like this. Not again. That's not fair. I can't believe it. I deserve better than this. And I know that sounds like a lot of people's external conversations, but it really is a lot of the internal things that we tell ourselves. Every time something bad happens in our lives, we can trust God or we can trust ourselves. And that's what it comes down to. This is, do we have wisdom from below or wisdom from above? Are we going to respond with God's wisdom and God's grace or our own? And we are told that trusting God eventually leads us to rest, to peace, to the ability to forgive. When we trust ourselves, it leads to resentment and self-pity and anxiety and restlessness and probably ulcers and heart attacks and things like that. Okay, point number two, if I lost you, here we go. Why is this important? Why is it important? Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Literally, I love this. The word for heart here is the word cardia. Like, I'm into to cardia. You're into cardio workout. You want a heart workout? Here you go. In other words, this happens, this patience versus impatience, trusting God, trusting us, this happens in our hearts. It happens inside, not outside in the world. And so when James talks about grumbling, grumbling doesn't always show on our face. Cynicism, self-pity starts in our hearts and how we perceive what is happening around us. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this. He calls it the hell of eternal autobiography that we are always telling ourselves a story. And when that story centers on ourselves, it is literally hell because we keep telling ourselves it's all about us. It's brilliant. It is looking at ourselves and what we are getting or not getting. Always putting ourselves first. You know, it's, it is about patience with what I want and not anything that God calls me to. Guys, being patient or impatient with the circumstances each day is really a battle for our soul. It's a battle internally. And one of the things the scriptures are clear about that our world today is so fuzzy about is your heart is not on your side. It is not on your side. Someone once said that our hearts are not neutral and will naturally go in the direction of self-pity. Our hearts are always so sure what they think that we need. And our hearts are so often wrong. I would say always, but I don't want to say always, but almost always our hearts are wrong. Think about where your heart has led you wrong. Think about that. Think about that. Now, um, 
I don't think that our hearts really learn humility until we're kind of broken in the midst of things. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Great Divorce. And in it, he has a story about a busload from people from hell going to heaven like they're going for a sightseeing tour. And all these people who are in heaven come in and invite all these people from hell into heaven to check out all these things. But they all refuse for various reasons. Now, that is not C.S. Lewis's theology. Don't worry. It's, it's all an allegory and a metaphor for our hearts. So one of the sightseers that comes from hell to go to heaven is a woman who meets up with another woman from heaven saying, hey, why don't you come inside? But the woman from hell doesn't even hear her because she keeps talking. She can't even hear him. And so she's worried about, you know, oh, here's the bus ride and I can't find my friend Eleanor and everybody's mean to me and everybody's so selfish. And then she just walks off out of earshot. Now, there are these two narrators who are there, too. And the narrators kind of walk through and talk about what they're seeing in all these people. And one of the narrators looks at this woman, and he says this, I am troubled, sir, because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to me to be the sort of soul that ought to be even in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's only a silly, garrulous old woman who has got into a habit of, wait for it, grumbling, grumbling. The other one answers, well, the question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. It's like, what does that mean? The first one, he says, how can there be a grumble without a grumbler? And this answer, I think, is just brilliant because it speaks to what we're talking about. And he says, it begins with a grumbling mood and yourself still distinct from it, perhaps criticizing it. Oh, I really shouldn't criticize. I really shouldn't be this way. I should, you know, you, you see that. He says, you can repent and come out of it again. But there may come a day when you can do that no longer. He says, then there will be no you left to criticize the mood, nor even enjoy it if you like doing it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. What he says is self-pity and anger. They feed on themselves and they keep going. And eventually you get to the place where you can't hear anything but your own internal self the hell of eternal autobiography. Lewis says you can, you can see people getting more and more miserable as they're locked in this prison of self-obsession and self-absorption. And they're always self-centered, always angry that nothing seems to go the way they want it to go. And what if when you die at that point, your soul just keeps on going? And that's what James says, the judge is at the door. That's why it's all tied to that because eventually it's all gonna be hell and your heart is already inclined in that direction. This is why you can trust God, you can trust yourselves, and this is why this is so important to us, to answer these questions. Who are we trusting? Who are we trusting? Where is our focus? Trusting ourselves is a path that's going down and down, and your heart is already there, unless there is an intervention by God himself, which takes place in the gospel. So point number three. I know you're all just writing these down. It's, it's amazing. So point number three, how do you develop and grow patience? How do we do this? How do we develop that? And I think it's important. So James says we develop patience by two things. We look at the past and the future, and that develops it for us in the present. We look at what God has done and what God is going to do. So point 3.1 is this. First, we develop patience in the present. And the way he talks about that is he talks about Job. Job learned perseverance and patience because of what God did, because of the suffering that he went through. It's not something that Job just mustered up all on his own. It was something that God walked him into and grew him in. And from experience, I will tell you that many times in our lives, Patience only comes as we go through some very difficult circumstances, when suffering comes upon us. And so Job cries out to God in the midst of his suffering. And God eventually brings him to the place where Job learns that long suffering. In Psalm 77, this writer cries out to God. He's, he's freaking out, but then goes back to remember what God has done. 
and he begins to calm down. He remembers that God has good, been good in the past. God will be good in the future. And if God is good in the past and God is going to be good in the future, that means God is still good in our present. And that's how we start walking through the present. We, all of our troubles, they become processed through prayer and meditation on who God is. In Christianity, meditation is not emptying your mind. It is filling your mind and reminding yourself of what God has done. So point three, point two is we remember the past. Remember the past. And what, what is the past? We're talking about the cross, the gospel. That's what we're talking about. And so James gives the example again of Job. Job is an innocent sufferer. Mostly. I mean, he's a pretty good guy, but he wasn't one sinless. I heard one person say this. Job was living a better than average moral life, but he was experiencing a worse than average circumstantial life. And Job will complain, this is not fair. And, you know, in fairness, it probably wasn't fair. And he wrestles with that. But then you get to Jesus where James is pushing us towards. And you want to see the only truly innocent sufferer who has ever lived? It is Jesus Christ himself. Only Jesus loved the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only Jesus loved his neighbor as himself perfectly and fully. And yet he is misunderstood and poor and rejected and betrayed and denied. He is arrested on trumped up charges. He is tortured. He is killed and even on the cross he will say my god my god why have you forsaken me jesus experiences the ultimate loss and he was perfectly patient through all of it he says father let this cup pass from me but not my will but yours be done and we are told in the book of hebrews that jesus hyper stood for us at the cross he is the only one who truly did that if he didn't all the evil of our decisions and our lives would have crashed down upon our heads Again, when darkness comes, Jesus doesn't flinch. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the agony of lost love. See, Job learned patience through to the end of the book. But throughout the rest of the book, Job is very impatient. He says some really insulting things and rails against God. And yet James will tell us Job was blessed because the Lord was full of mercy. That's why he was blessed. Job didn't earn that. Job is forgiven for his impatience and his self-centeredness and all those crazy things that he does for the same reason that we are forgiven, that Jesus took the punishment for our sins that we deserve upon himself. You want to say this in gospel terms because we want to always put this in gospel terms. Jesus, through his perfect patience, atoned for our impatience so the Father can be endlessly patient with us. Let me say that again. Okay? Jesus, through his perfect patience, atoned for our impatience so that the Father can be endlessly patient with us. When troubles are happening and you start to become impatient, think of what Jesus did. And then, point three, point three, it's my last one, I promise, you meditate on what he's going to do in the future. Not that we only focus on the future like some people like to do, but there are great promises in the scriptures. And again, these come out of the gospels as well. What Jesus did in the past, but he also what he promises to do. He says, I'm coming again. This is what James tells you. Be patient. The Lord is coming. We know how all this ends. We know how it gets renewed. We know because it's been promised to us, and God throughout the scriptures has always been good for his promises. I don't know if you're one of those weird people who are like in the middle of the book and you read the end to see how it's going to turn out. You guys are weird if you do that. But the crazy thing is God did that. God writes the end and right in the middle, he tells us how it's going to end. It's like, I know the end of the story. This is, this is really great. He tells us in the middle of our own story that he's going to come back. He's going to heal the world. He's going to resurrect you from the dead and he's going to make everything right. When we trust in him, all the deepest true desires that are within us will be fulfilled. Every injustice will be put right. I think God tells us the end so we can handle the middle, so we can handle where we are with grace 
and with patience. Life in this world can be difficult. It really can. But in the end, justice will be done. And God is going to make all things new. And the struggle between patience and impatience is really a battle for our hearts every day. And if we want to be a people who live in real joy, what joy actually is, we must learn to be patient. And true patience comes from looking what God, our creator, our redeemer, what he did for us in the past is atoning work at the cross and what he promises to continue to do in the future. I think what we can do is look forward and realize that everything is going to be okay in the end. Joni Erickson is a Christian quadriplegic writer, and she suffered a lot. And this is what she writes, and I love this. She goes, Jesus is worth trusting. Again, this is a quadriplegic. Jesus is worth trusting, period, end of argument. After all, when they hang you on a cross like meat on a hook, you have the final word on suffering. I love that. God does not stay in heaven like some people say and just look down and doesn't try to plan our lives and tell us what to do. He comes into the world that we had destroyed. He steps into our suffering to bring us back to himself. He knows what suffering is like. He experienced it himself. And so when we are in the most painful times, when we don't feel like we can have patience with others or with our circumstances, we meditate on what Christ did for us. With, we do that with others, we do that in the circumstances we're in, and that is how we can navigate life, with patience and trusting him with our words, our hands, and our hearts, because it only comes with a focus upon the gospel, upon what Christ has done. Uh, every week, you know, we come to this place of communion, and the reason we do that is that it is a reminder to go back so we would remember what Christ has done, but also what he promises to also do in the future. We come to this place because it's a place where we lay our hearts bare before him. It's not something we just do willy-nilly. It's always a place that resets and reminds us who God is and what he's doing and what he continues to do. And this is why you take the cracker and you break it because Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of Christ's blood that was shed for you and me. If you need a gluten-free option, it's in the back. It's, it's labeled back there if you need one of those. And also, if you're still worried about COVID and things like that, there's single-use cups that are sealed. You can have communion in that. But we do this weekly as a reminder to draw us back to remember what Christ has done because that is what changes us. That's what leads us into patience. I'm going to invite the band to come up. As, as they do, uh, again, remind yourself today the patience and the long-suffering and the goodness of who God is. I mean, maybe you are in a place today where you feel like you have no patience. Like, you're, you're just like you have no patience with either somebody or other or circumstances in your life or maybe both of those together at the same time. And you want someone to kind of talk with you and pray through that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to pray through that with you. We would love to do that. Uh, grab someone at the Welcome Center. We actually have people signed up to pray with you today if you, if you need prayer. And they would love to walk through that and talk through those things. Because patience is not just something we, again, we zap into ourselves. God moves us in a process. And many times that process is not easy. Many times that process is things that we ourselves have done in our own lives that are kind of just destroyed them. And God, in a work of redemption, will walk through those things with us to continue to bring us back to himself because he is the one who is good. And, guys, when, I, and when I talk about patience up here and all this, and I, and I say all these words, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you because I have a really hard time with patience. I really do. And when God grows me in it, I'm like, this is great. I don't want to grow in it. I just want to keep going the way I'm going. But we must grow. We must. Because we are called to be God's people in the world. And that means whatever we go through is for his glory and our eventual good. 
And so we trust him in all those things. If you need prayer, grab, you know, some at the Welcome Center. We love to pray with you. Uh, we give because God has always been so good to us and he's generous with us, so we give as well. We do not pass a plate at Element. It's always a response to he has done. That's why there's offering boxes on the side walls. You give online or things like that. But we are a generous people because our God and his generosity has been endlessly patient with us. And so we just give as a response. Grab the sermon notes, take those questions, meet with your family or your friends, your gospel community, whatever, and, and kind of talk through some of those questions and talk about what you understand patience to be versus how James kind of defines patience. And then maybe the ways that we can spur one another on to live and walk in patience. Because I think when we, ha- when we are long-suffering with one another, when we are steadfast in the circumstances that come into our lives, we're reflecting more of how God has first loved and rescued and saved us. Because ultimately, in the end, that's what we want to be. We want to be a people who reflect him, who are his ambassadors to the world, who are his hands and his feet, because he has first loved us. We don't do those things because it makes him love us more. We don't do those things because it brings us salvation. We do those things because God has already loved us. And God has already blessed us. And he has proved that with Christ at the cross where Christ hyperstood for us so that we could be brought in. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us and move us to be a people who trust you enough that we would be long-suffering with one another. That we would trust you enough that we would stand with you in hard and difficult circumstances that we'd be a people who live what we say we actually believe. That we would trust you for the goodness that you have provided, for the grace that you have given. And that we then begin to live out in this world as this people who are are full of patience, full of long-suffering, that we would begin to be different because of what you have first done. God, we thank you for being so patient with us. We thank you because we would never have a hope of a new life or redeemed life on our own. And yet you have stepped into the messes that we've made with our own impatience, with our own lack of long-suffering. And you start to heal and bring hope and grace again. And we thank you because our whole life and all of our salvation depends solely upon you. And you is what we have given to us freely. So teach us in love to respond to how you have first loved us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. And that's Mark to drop the curtains. Now as he does, and trying to keep my question for you just kind of simple at the end of this, take a moment and ask God to show you where you right now have a lack of patience, where you maybe are not long-suffering with somebody else, or maybe there is a situation in your life that you're not standing and trusting God in the midst of it. Say, God, reveal that to me. And then even though I might not have all the answers, teach me to trust you in the midst of this. Teach me today, right now, to be a person who understands the great patience you have first shown me, and then to live in the patience that you have given.